Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. Today's guest is Roger Brooks. Roger believes that everyone has a story and his goal is to create a positive impact on everyone he encounters, either directly or indirectly, while producing life-changing content. He is an author, podcaster, and book writing coach that has developed a program that helps people turn their stories into bestsellers and takes you from page one to publishing in less than 90 days. In addition, he is also the founder and host of the American Real podcast, and has produced over 200 episodes in only four years, where he delivers value to his audience by interviewing the world's top experts and getting them to share their stories, knowledge, and experience. During this episode, we discuss his journey running the American Real podcast. We talk about why he encourages people to write a book and how he developed his writing program, and the fulfillment of being service-driven and how that enables us to deliver value and have a more positive impact on people's lives. And the last message he wanted to share is to simply just do good and try to become a person of service to help build a brighter future for all. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Roger Brooks. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you on the show and thank you so much for your time. Uh, and so Roger, me and you connected through LinkedIn like I have with many of my guests and I very quickly got really interested in the work you do. Um, I know you've published a book, but not only that, that you help people actually write a book and tell their stories in a quite a short amount of time, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, in addition to that, I know you run the American Real podcast and you've had over 200 episodes in four years, which is an amazing achievement. I know how hard it is. So congrats, <laughs> congrats on that. Uh, so I just wanted to dive in today about, you know, your experience with the podcast, talk about, you know, your book and how you help your clients and so on, and how you can help uh, people find their voice. But before we dive into everything, Robert, why don't you give all of us a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there. Sure. Actually, uh, I am uh, born and raised upstate New York. Um, come from a hardworking family. Both of my parents worked, have one sister, and we grew up in a middle-class uh, neighborhood, maybe a little under middle-class, I would say, but hardworking people. So I was surrounded by hardworking people my whole life, especially up. And uh, when I was young, you know, say, 12 to 16, I had the entrepreneurial bug. I always wanted to be keeping busy. I wanted to create. Um, I started writing actually back then, okay. um, poems and things like that. But uh, there was something in me that I, I just wanted to keep busy and everything from a paper route to uh, shoveling snow in the winters, <laughs> mowing lawns in the summers, and then you know created a, a, a t-shirt company and all kinds of things over over the course of my career. But um, one thing that I never was, you know, and I, 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 I guess I'm proud of this is I was never bored, you know, and awesome. uh, always had something to do, uh, always had something to look forward to, was athletic growing up. I played a lot of baseball, played collegiate baseball for a few years. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And then just, you know, uh, went on to my journey of the business world. Uh, which is still evolving. And, um, uh, but I worked in corporate America for a good 20 years. And just, I'm just very blessed that I've had all the experiences that I've had and the mentors that I've had over the years to help propel me to try to do my best every single day. 
Absolutely, man. And thank you so much for sharing that story. I always like our guests to just understand where you came from, you know, what was your background and how we got to where we are today. So I guess let's start with, you talked about, uh, you just mentioned working in corporate America. And I was reading on your LinkedIn that you have like over 30 years working like in the corporate field. And then during Corona, like I think myself and many others, you finally had that time to sit down and reflect and really think about your what you want to do what's your passion what is the thing that you would love to do so i'm curious now that you're kind of doing your own thing and you're coaching people with their you know writing books and so on how does it feel to finally i guess be doing something that you truly love to do it's great it, it is just great it's you know look i think we're all looking for our passion and our purpose uh but i also feel that it's ever evolving so there's never like, okay, I've, I've finally reached, you know, my purpose. Um, for me, it's all about other people. It's all about sharing stories. So whether I'm doing a podcast or helping someone with their book or putting up a LinkedIn post or any kind of a post for that matter, it's really all about providing value and sharing a piece of your knowledge and wisdom that could hopefully inspire others to do the same. Um, I, I, it doesn't matter. I don't think where we're from on this planet, we all have a duty to help each other, help our neighbors and the world is becoming smaller and smaller. So our neighbors are those who we interact with every single day, like we are right now. So, uh, whether it's zoom or someone who actually lives next door to me, it's our duty, uh, as a humanitarian, you know, as one that wants to help uh, improve our global consciousness, to be able to rise above every single day and help those that may be falling a little bit behind. And of course, there's days where we need that help as well. So it's okay some days to be the mentor and some other days to be the mentee. Absolutely. And uh, I love how you said there's some days that we also need it. It's not just about, you know, providing value, which is so important because it's a like life goes up and down there's days when you're like you're on your game and you're feeling motivated and you're like okay today I feel uh I want to motivate people and there's other days that you're struggling you're like uh, I could actually use some motivation today instead so uh, I really love how you said that um I wanted to come on to uh the podcast so I know that you trained with Brian Rose who for the people who don't know guys he's the host of the London Reels podcast and actually it's so funny how how life goes and how things turn out. So I watched his podcast back in 2017, the one he did with Dan Pena. And that podcast is this, that moment, listening to that podcast, I felt like Dan Pena was actually shouting at me and talking to me and telling me to take accountability. And it was that moment that changed everything for me. And, you know, it was a big reason for why, who I am today. And so it's so funny that now I'm having a podcast with someone who actually trained with Brian and, you know, went to his academy and so on. So I wanted to start, I guess, first with how is it training under Brian? How was that experience? And what was the reason you actually wanted to start getting into the whole podcasting field? Yeah, so uh, I'll take you back to the same year, 2017. Uh, I had met with a few friends of mine. We had a, a business meeting, if you will, one evening at my friend's house. And there was probably about eight or ten uh, all guys there. We were talking about what could we do to bring, you know, some light to the world. And a lot of different ideas were, were, were thrown out, but one of them was we should start a podcast. And that resonated with me because I was also watching London Real at that time. 
And I, I became very connected to the message there that Brian had with his guests. And I just love the format of his show. So, um, you know, long story short, uh, out of that group, there were a couple of, of guys that helped me along the way uh, get started. But I stumbled upon an email from Brian because I was on his mailing list that he was launching an academy. So it was the first time he had ever uh, offered Broadcast Yourself, which is the name of his, of his podcasting course within the London Real Academy. And I was fortunate enough to get in. You have to apply for it. It doesn't just take one. And it was an intense, very intense eight-week course. And I took it very serious. I went all in. Um, I put many, many hours. I got up early. I stayed up late because I really wanted to learn the craft of podcasting. And back then, even more so than today, it was still relatively new. True. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize um, all that, you know, w- would go into putting a podcast together. Plus I wanted to do video. So uh, I went through the, went through the program, graduated out. And I remember on the last call that Brian had, uh, we were getting ready to plan the graduation in London. And he made an announcement and he said, look, he said, every year I have one person that I put in my chair to interview me. And I put myself in the, in the hot seat. And he said, this year, I'm going to choose Roger to come out to London to interview. Oh, me. wow. Well, that was a pivotal moment for me. Sure. Uh, it, it made all that hard work worth it. So I flew to London a few weeks later and had the opportunity to interview Brian. It was actually the very last episode that was recorded in his original studio before he moved to his new London Real headquarters. So there was a lot of, you know, just a, 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 a it, it was very special that time. And uh, there was a lot of emotion that was attached to it. And we went on for over four hours. It was the longest interview he's ever had. And I was told back then it's actually the longest interview podcast interview in history. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Four hours is. Yeah. Even Joe Rogan's aren't four hours. You know, that's that's crazy. Yes. But how, how so that's wow. That's such a great story. Um, how is it when he picked you? You're like, OK, Roger, you're the person who's going to interview me because in terms of prep, did you have any experience before? How, what was your mindset going into it and i think sometimes it's actually quite difficult to carry an interesting conversation um for four hours oh you're absolutely right and look all the training that we had for that eight weeks prepared me right so um but i went into the interview knowing a lot about him already but then i i took it into high gear where i went to do additional research because i wanted to make sure that I was able to uncover some things in that interview that people never heard before on his show. Uh, Not to mention, they broadcast it live. So I was under pressure, you know, to perform. Look, as a podcaster, and you know, even what we're doing now, it's, it's really, I think, pivotal that we are present, and that we're aware of our thoughts, and of our actions and, and what we're going to say, um, in, instead of you know just winging it, of course. Yeah. So I came, I came over prepared. Uh, I told him before the interview, I asked him how long we had, and he says, "Look, we have about an hour." 
He says, we need to do a mastermind class tonight with, with the class. I said, oh, wow. I said, I, I was hoping we could go longer because I have so many questions for you. And he said, look, he says, I'm not going to put a time limit on. We'll just go as long as we're going to go. And then we'll handle it from there. Well, both of us, I thought it was about two hours. Both of us had no idea it was over four hours, four hours and 20 minutes to be exact. Wow. That's that's an incredible, that's a great story, man. I, I love that. And I can't imagine how much prep you would have had to have done for to have a great conversation like you had for that long, because I've had experiences where I've had longer podcasts and I've had shorter ones and the longer ones, you really need to have a good, I guess, vision of where do you want to take this conversation? What do you want to do? What are the questions like you correctly said? What's a question that maybe he hasn't been asked before? What's, what's a question that would make the guests think, catch them by surprise, for example? So on that, so that must have been an incredible, uh, I guess, uh, welcoming into the podcast world to have like it's a, a quite a high profile guest and to have such a long podcast. But now I know you've done over 200 episodes and you've interviewed so many people. So I'm curious from that moment and then starting, you know, American Real and to getting to where you are today. How has your, I guess, preparation and interview style changed during that time if you compare it to when you first started? Yeah, I think like anything, the more you do something, hopefully <laughs> you learn from mistakes and get better doing it, sure. right? But it's, you know, it, it is, um, I believe, something that you have to continually try to improve. You cannot let your guard down. And, you know, I try to better my game every single episode. And even when I do interviews like this, I try to be better than the last interview that I did because I want to be able to offer as much of myself and my knowledge to the people that are listening because I know I benefit from those conversations as well. So yes, um, over time, uh, what did I improve upon? I try to become a better listener, really remaining present with the guests and I try to ask the questions that I think the listener may want to ask in that moment. So instead of maybe rushing through, you know, my list of questions, I try to have conversation based off of what the guest is saying. And oftentimes what will happen is through conversation, the guests will cover other questions that I've had. So you have to get really good at um, just being fluid with the conversation and being able to take it to a place that you may not have expected um, if something was already covered or something new that may be interesting based off of what you might have heard. Yeah, no, exactly. I think you made a great point about the fluidity of the conversation, how it's supposed to flow naturally. Like you do have your list of questions. I remember very early on when I started, I got feedback from um, so, from one of the listeners and he's like, it was too much of a question and answer kind of thing. It was, you know, I wasn't expanding on the guest's point. I wasn't developing the conversation a bit more. And that was an incredible piece of feedback that has served me across all my, you know, episodes since. But I think in, another interesting point that you said is even I've noticed even as a guest, when they come on my podcast, they also want to do a good job exactly like you said and that is something that i never thought of as the host you know we're responsible for managing the conversation and the questions and so on but it was very interesting seeing a guest want to perform that well as well absolutely and look i i echo that comment because no matter who i've interviewed whether it was just you know an average person that lives in my community that i had an interest in 
or someone like Ed Milet or Brian Rose, um, I can say that people, when, when you interview them, they want to put on their best performance, right? They want to give their best. They want to give their all. So it's an honor to be able to interview someone, but it's also an honor back to be on this side, to be able to give the interviewee um, what they deserve in putting something like this together. So it goes both ways. I learned, you know, and I was actually surprised. And I talked to Brian about this when, when he actually interviewed me uh, the day after our interview. And that, and that was, I, I was really surprised how humbled the guests were that I took the time to interview them. You know, a couple of them said, this was the best interview of my life. And I think that's because if you take the time and you don't just zip through the questions, because if you look at the news, you know, people have what, you know, 15 seconds to give a, a quick response so they could get a good clip in a podcast interview, there's a lot more time. So you could take your time, you could express yourself. And I believe that our guests really appreciate that. Absolutely, man. I, I like you, I echo that as well. I've noticed um, in my podcast. So when I first started, I kind of wanted to be Joe Rogan-esque. But then I learned that I'm like, what am I trying to do with my podcast? I'm trying to help people and deliver value. So it's about how much value can I deliver in a time frame that I think is com comfortable enough for the guests to enjoy and something that probably I would listen to as well. So is there a, since you've done so many, um, so many episodes, how do you, I, do you go into it with a time limit, like a typical time limit for your episodes? Or if the conversation is flowing, you don't mind having, you know, a three hour podcast or a four hour podcast, for example? Exactly. I always try to respect the guest's time. Sure. So I do that you did with me. I ask them how much time they have. I've had people like Guy Kawasaki. He says, I only have 30 minutes. I'm going surfing and I have to get out of here. So I'm like, Guy, no problem. We'll do this in 30 minutes. Um, Colin Cowherd, I went out to LA, interviewed Colin. Uh, he runs uh, Fox Sports. Um, he's, a, he's a talk show host out there. He had you know, 35 minutes. So you respect that. But then others, you know, uh, people like, say, David Nagel, who I interviewed in Charlotte, David had more time. So we spent over an hour. Uh, Evan Carmichael, over an hour. So it really just depends on the guest. And then I adjust to, to their schedule, to their energy. And uh, obviously, you don't want to drag something on. But if you're getting good content, I think it's good to you know go as far as you can to bring that out absolutely absolutely man and like you said i think in my experience and i think you would relate to this guests really appreciate when you've taken the time to do your research about them to ask them these kind of questions you know i judge the success of a podcast episode not necessarily on the number of listens i have but did my guest have a good time? Is this some, did they have a good experience? And that for me is, you know, means more to me than that because that has a knock-on effect for potential future guests. You know, like, oh, I was on Khaled podcast. You should go. I had a really great time. <clears throat> so do you have, does it, is it similar to you or do you have a different idea of how you judge a success of a, a podcast episode, for example? Oh, oh no, absolutely. It's, it's very, very similar in that my whole goal with the conversation is to, like I said earlier, hopefully uncover some new things that they may not have talked about before, but give them 110%. 
so that they are are in that comfort zone where they could you know speak freely and um, you know without any any roadblocks for them to be able to express themselves the right way. Yeah, absolutely, and I totally agree with that. I was thinking. What I love about doing this is I get to meet new people all the time and who people who do completely different things, you know, in such a short time, I feel like I've covered a lot of topics and I've learned so much, you know, for me, it's uh, like I when I set up my podcast, I'm like, I'm doing this for me first to learn because I'm sure if I learn, then someone else is going to probably learn as well. Um, but one th the biggest thing I've learned and what I believe is people are your best teachers and Every podcast episode I do, typically when I record with a guest, the first time we meet, like me and you today, Roger, for example, is this is our first time, you know, speaking. So there's, you have to learn about people. How does this guy think? How does he speak? How can I connect with this guest? And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you, it, everyone's different. So you're not going to have maybe uh, as free-flowing or as simple as a connect chemistry or connection as you'd want, but you can still have a great episode. So I'm curious for you, in your podcasting experience, what's the biggest, I guess, learnings or takeaways you've had from all the amazing guests that you've spoken to? Yeah, no, look, you're, you're so right because every personality is different. I've had guests um, that when, you know, I would ask them a question, they would give me a one sentence answer. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it very challenging, yes. especially plan to go say for 45 minutes to an hour. If you have 10 questions, and you're only getting a one sentence or two sentence answer, it makes it really challenging. So you have to expect the unexpected. You have to be ready for those moments when there's silence. You know, what do you do? And you have to prepare for that. So I would say that was a, a key lesson for me is to be able to hold a conversation, be able to engage that person, even if they're a little bit, you know, less talkative than the average it's 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 our job as the podcaster to bring the best out in them as you can and just get creative and you know maybe there's more questions than the 10 yeah you know that you have researched and you know to be aware of that to be able to to carry a conversation but no i also agree with your earlier point that look for me every session of interviewing someone is like a private set coaching session yeah. right you're, you're tapping into years of experience. Um, again, I've mentioned some of the bigger names, but to, to get a one-on-one -on -one with some of these people, uh, first of all, you probably can't do it. Um, but if you were to do it, it's going to be pretty expensive. Yeah. You know, to get Ed Milet for an hour and a half uh, in his house, uh, it's probably not going to happen too often. And if you do, he may charge $2,500 for that, right? Because he can. Yeah. So. I really honor that and I respect everyone's time. Uh, but like you, I'm, I'm learning from that guest in that moment. What can I tap into from this guest, you know, past experience that could not only help my audience, but also help me become a better person. And really it's a, it's a, you know, desire of mine to help myself and the audience become the best version of ourselves. Ah, oh, man, absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I resonate with that so much. You know, I'm trying to do the same thing just like you are. And I think you mentioned a great point about guests and respecting their time, because especially a high profile guest such as Ed Milet, for example, who, you know, they don't have they don't have 
probably have 10 million things going on. If they're giving you their time, you want to make sure you're doing a good job. But I'm curious if we reflecting back to the early days when you like were first starting out the podcast. Obviously, when you first start out, you kind of need to build some credibility. You need to build some consistency of, you know, your podcast before you can start, I guess, moving up to those, uh, let's say, A-list, A-list guests, for example. So how was it for you in the early days? How did it slowly? Was there a specific guest that kind of made the podcast, took the podcast to the next level? Or was it, you know, over time, it just slowly, slowly, slowly started building and higher level guests were coming on? Yeah, it's a good question. And thinking back, you know, what I did was I, I wrote down, and this was part of Brian's uh, program in London Real, was to write down your top 100 guests. So I had already written down um, those guests. And now I'm someone who likes to go after my goals, manifest my goals. So there are people on that list like Ed Milet, you know, like David Nagel, that I obviously never had any contact with them before. But I put it out there. I put it out to the universe to say, this is my top 100. I'm going after them. I may not get them the first time or the second time or the third time, but I'm going to be pleasantly persistent because I really want that guest on my show. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's what I did. So I had, you know, I had my list of 100. I kept adding to that list. I still have the spreadsheet today. It continues to grow. And quite honestly, there's no one in the world right now that... I don't have a problem reaching out to, to get on the show. Um, but you need the wins, you know, you need the little wins yeah. you know, along the way to say, okay, I got that person. And then when you reach out to the next guest, or maybe that person's on a little bit of an elevated platform, you could say, look, I had the opportunity to interview X, Y, Z. I would love to have you on my show as well. I have found that more than not, if you could get to the person, they're gracious. You know, and I utilize my my network as well. So, but I I wouldn't go to my extended network. I went to my immediate network. So I my my family, friends, colleagues that I knew. I wanted to know who do you know that might make a good guest on my show, and um, you know, quite frankly, that's how some of my biggest guests came is through friends of mine that I never even knew that they had uh, you know an insider and an in with a guest that might be in New York City or in LA or something like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think you it's a great idea to utilize, you know, the network you have. Like you said just now, you know, you never know who the people you know are connected to or could, you know, put you put you in touch with. And I've learned in my experience at least um I've reached out to some of my my top 100. I haven't had I haven't had them yet. However, I will say that I've spoken to people that I never thought I would ever speak to. And like kind of like what you said, when you do reach out to them and you tell them the story behind what you're trying to do with your podcast, they kind of feel honored to come, you know, to be that you would think of them as someone, you know, of value that you'd like to have on the show to share their value with everyone else. So my, my approach is I'm like, I'm going to reach out. The worst that could happen is they say no. Sometimes they don't answer, but I'd say in 90% of the people I've reached out to yes. have said yes to that. Totally. And I, you know, I think about uh, another person I interviewed, David Meltzer. One of the things he taught me is to make yourself accessible. Um, in my corporate life, making yourself accessible wasn't always like the cool thing to do, right? So, you know, 
people play hard to get, especially in the sales world. Once I changed my mindset to make myself accessible to others, like I, right now, I, I honestly, if anyone asks me to come on their podcast, it doesn't matter to me if they have a hundred followers or a million followers, I do it because I know I was in that place at, at you know, then. So now I'm, I want to reciprocate, but David Meltzer taught me that if I didn't interview him, I would have never picked up that trait. So that it goes back to our earlier conversation that, you know, asking the right questions and having authentic conversations with people lead to ideas, you know, uh, lead to breakthroughs. And I really could say every single person that I've interviewed, I've learned, I've, I've taken at least one thing away from them that I learned and, and being accessible is really crucial, especially today um, to, to help those that are really, you know, in need. Absolutely. And I think you made such a great point because it's a question I've actually been thinking about myself. I'm like, let's say in like five years when, you know, I've reached that next level or the level I'm trying to get to on a podcast, because I've reached out to some, uh, like, of my top 100 and they'd be like how many listens do you have you know there would be that and which i which I, listen i totally understand because it's also like we were speaking earlier about uh admire it, it's their time so i understand yes. like if you want to come they want to understand that they're gonna they're getting some value out of it not just me so i i've been thinking i'm like would i would i be like that would i ask to you know what are the numbers before i come on your show but i personally think similar to you i'd i'd come on the show you know i'd come on the podcast anyway because like you beautifully said like you've been i've been there before so i know yes. i know how it is and i think that's that's such a great uh lesson you know about being accessible something that i wasn't aware of either and that i hadn't thought of actually yeah and i'll tell you what the way i look at it too in addition to that is I'm giving my time to you, but you're also giving your time to me, right? So it that in and of itself is reciprocal. If I had some other, um, you know, idea of, you know, I'm doing your podcast for other reasons, other mm -hmm. than having this conversation, I don't think that's, that's great. You know, yes, hopefully we could reach as many people as we can, right? And for you, I hope, I hope, you know, you continue to grow and you will. Um, but that shouldn't be the reason you come on. So I don't ask how many listeners, and you know, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I just, I just do it because it's the right thing to do. That's the only reason it's the right thing to do. And that's why I do it. And I hope, you know, people that may be listening to this as well, think about that for themselves, not only as a podcast guest, but in life, if a salesperson is reaching out to you time after time, after time, give them the courtesy of an email or, or a phone call back to say, thank you so much for being persistent. Unfortunately, I'm not interested, right? It, it, have the decency to do that because it's not easy being on the other side, you know, knocking down the doors. And, and, and that's why these conversations are good because um, they really bring out some good conversation that we may not have ever planned. Exactly. And I think, uh, like you said, so the, uh, I love how you use the sales example, because my background was in sales. So I was that guy that's like, oh, like reached out once, twice, three times. So even if I didn't, even if I didn't get the sale or get the client, even if I just got a response, you know, that acknowledges the effort that I put in to try to speak to you, that felt great. And, you know, we can look at it as that's a small example. But if you look at that on the larger scale is 
I guess, reciprocating, giving, you know, giving back to people, appreciating the effort they're putting in. If they're trying to connect with you, work with you, whatever the case might be, it's not about, doesn't have to be yes, no, but it's about the, the action of just, you know, giving back to them. Totally. Absolutely, man. And so you've had, you have your top 100 list. Is there, I'm guessing there are a couple of guests that you probably haven't, uh, that are still, you know, uh, in the pipeline that you'd like to have, but is there one that when you started the podcast, you're like, that's the guy, that's the guy or the girl that I would dream, you know, to have, to have on my show. Is there anyone that you have in mind? Yes, there is actually the Pope. <laughs> I want to interview the Pope. That's awesome. And yes. And I will interview the Pope. I'll say it here first. It's just a matter of time and it's a matter of connecting with the right people. And it's a matter of being authentic for the reasons I want to interview the Pope. But yes, that's someone that I, I absolutely want to interview and um, hopefully it'll happen sooner rather than later. <laughs> I, I hope so too. That was not a guest I was I would have expected <laughs> <laughs> kind of caught me off guard. But I think it'd be amazing to speak to the Pope if, when I'm going to say when you when you do, when you get the chance. It's just <laughs> like you, you said, it's Thank a matter you. of time. Um, but I'm curious, uh, coming back to the early days, the reason I like to keep going back to your early days, because I think it's important for anyone who wants to start a podcast or like myself, you know, to learn from someone who's been doing it like yourself for quite a while. What was your, I guess, mindset about when it comes to guests? Like, how would you decide this is someone I would like to have on the show besides the top 100? Because I think that they speak for themselves. But in that building phase, how would you decide this is a guest I'd like to have on the show or that's a guest I'd like to have on the show? Well, one of the things I started doing early on, again, one of the tips Brian Rose gave is to listen to your audience. This is something you said that you did as well. I asked people, who would you like to see on the podcast? Um, and I, I received so many wonderful names. And again, if someone, if I was given a name and I did the research and they don't have a million, you know, uh, Instagram followers, that doesn't matter to me. It's about that person. It's, it, you know, what is it about this person that is interesting uh, so they could share their story? And it just plays right into our tagline, which is everyone has a story. I have to live up to that. Everyone has a story, whether you're you know, 10 million followers or no followers. So I have interviewed people that don't even have social media. So again, it's to me, it's all about finding the connection of the guest. What is it about them that the information that they have to share? I'll give you another example. I interviewed a local guy who spent, I think, 23 years in prison. He was a drug addict. And it was probably one of our best episodes ever because he shared information. He shared information that could help parents. He shared information that could help people that uh, may you know, be on drugs and having a hard time getting off of drugs. He shared information about how much he appreciated the police in our community. Not that he, you know, he, he didn't you know, combat them saying that he hated them. He said, thank you. Thank you for being there for me in my worst time. So a lot came out of that episode that I could never have imagined uh, if I didn't sit down with this gentleman who spent 23 years in prison. That's uh, that's so interesting that, first of all, that would be a great, a great story to, to listen to. And like you correctly said, 
everyone uh, does have a story. They just sometimes don't have the the platform to tell it. And I think that's you get some great, really great advice about listening to your audience. You know, asking them who would you like, and then you know, obviously it's our job to go to go out and source the guest. But something I was thinking about. Um, because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and each podcast has a different, you know, style, different so on. Personally, the ones I love are the ones about, I want to learn. You know, if I'm listening to something, if I'm investing time, I just want to learn. So people like Lewis Howes, like Tom Bilyeu, like that kind of stuff. I just love uh, Joe Rogan. I listen to because it's just fun and I'm, I admire how no matter who the guest is, he can sit down and have a three-hour conversation. I think that's that's brilliant. Hopefully I get there one day. Um but something I've been thinking about, because like, kind of like what you're doing with your podcast, that everyone has a story. With mine, I'm just trying to help people, and that's kind of a broad. That's a broad. It's a broad term. So some people might be like, some podcasts are quite niche and they're very targeted to a specific thing, whether it's a brand, whether it's a podcast about you know, women empowerment, whatever the case might be. So, the question I have to you is, do you think it's important to find your niche? Or do, is it okay to have an umbrella? Like, for example, something I do and have the, the variety that me and you have both had on our podcast. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and here's my answer. To me, it's important that you enjoy what you're doing. So if you enjoy what you're doing, it doesn't matter the niche, in my opinion. Like, uh, mine's very broad too. And people say, well, it's, it's too broad. You know, you should really focus on this and that. Well, I don't want to. <laughs> I want to do what I want to do because I, I want to, again, put myself in the position of the listener to bring them guests from all walks of life. That's my choice. It's very broad. It's very challenging to build an audience off of a broad topic. But at the end of the day, it's what I enjoy. So, I mean, you know, technically speaking, yes, I think it makes a lot of sense to go as narrow as you can to reach your target audience. But I don't, you know, I don't have that, you know, I don't, that, that wasn't my aim or my goal. My goal was to share people's stories, to be able to sit down with a drug addict or to be able to sit down with the billionaire, you know, and, and everyone in between and talk about inspirational um, wisdom that could hopefully help people that are listening. So roundabout way uh, for me to say really just do what fulfills you and uh, what makes you happy and I, I i think if you're happy and and the conversation is good that comes through to the to the listeners and they will support oh, oh man i love that you said that that's so so true because i've had those kind con- of those conversations with people that are like because my my field is mental health as a hypnotherapist and so on. And a lot of topic guests I've had on the podcast have been, you know, therapists, doctors, other mental health professionals and so on. And someone once asked me, why don't you just make it like a purely mental health foca- uh, focused podcast? I'm like, because I get bored. I like the I like the variety. I like learning about different industries, different people that do different things, you know. And although, yes, a need maybe going as narrow as possible and niche does have its advantages, I also think having a broad range makes it there's so many like access points for people to come into a podcast you know if you have a podcast about finance about uh, being a chef music whatever so there's so many other ways for people to get to listen to your podcast initially and then if they like it they might stay around for other things that come up because it's always going to be different so I think niche yes you get a large audience but I think also having a broad range also has its advantages as well what would you say 
Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. And look, uh, I, I think mental health is one of the most important things today uh, that, that our, our world community is facing. And it saddens me that the resources and the dollars in communities in America and all around the world are not, don't seem to be going there. You know, uh, they seem to be going elsewhere. If we can't take care of our own, you know, what can we do? Uh, it is the most important thing. I've had the opportunity to interview Kevin Hines. Kevin Hines um, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. I believe that's what it was. Uh, when he was in his early 20s, he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. He survived, obviously, because I interviewed him. And we talked, we had a really good conversation about mental health. And um, until he got help, you know, he couldn't even talk about his mental health or his mental state of mind because he had this bipolar disorder, right? So once he got help, now he's going all over the country, talking to colleges and high schools and bringing awareness to the importance of mental health. So uh, again, to your point, if the podcast wasn't broad, I would have never had the opportunity to bring Kevin Hines in for me to learn a little bit more about the importance of mental health, which led to several other podcasts about mindfulness, um, you know, about meditation, these topics that I became interested in because of my conversation with him. So it's like you go on this journey, you know, and one podcast could lead to another and to another. So, um, you know, to me, it's, it's really all about just putting your best effort forward. And if you have good intentions, only good could come from it. Absolutely, man. And like, like you said, uh, coming on to the mental health thing, it is the most like number one, they say it's the next pandemic. I do a lot of research on it as well. And I've been in, I've been in therapy as well. So that's why I've, I understand that side being, you know, a client now I'm, you know, I'm the therapist. So I now have the ability to help people with their mental health and so on. And I think the pandemic, it was in the air. Mental health was like, you know, flying around there, but the pandemic just like, that was the catalyst that just exploded it and made people really realize, you know, there's something we need to take care of and the importance of it. And like you said, if you if your podcast was niche, you wouldn't have had the able to have that conversation to learn about someone who went through such a traumatic experience and what that led to as well. And that leads me perfectly onto uh, the, your, your book. So and can, and your vision and what you do with the podcast, which is everyone has a story now. You, you're the way I know the way you work with people is you help people write books from page one to publishing in 90 days. And I thought that was really interesting because I've read lots of books and so on. And when you hear the authors speak about their books, they're like, oh, yeah, this book took me three years. Oh, this book took me five years. So I'm like, OK, that's so interesting that Roger has a way to help you create a, a, a book in 90 days. So could you just walk us through how the book itself and like how do you work with work with people and how to get started with all that absolutely so just to kind of set the stage a little sure. bit um i've been writing for about 15 years uh, seriously um i've written several books my first book my first real book took me about six months okay it was called the power of loyalty it was a business book 
and it was published by Entrepreneur Magazine. That was, that was an awesome experience. I always wanted to write a book. I didn't know how to write a book or anything. So I just kind of taught myself and, and did it. But from there, then I wrote uh, another book uh, called The Power of Being Rich, which is basically how to manifest your reality. So more on the personal growth, personal development side. And after I wrote that book, um, at that time, I was trying to figure out ways to utilize my uh, podcast platform to tie into a business. Up until that point, I had just been, you know, week after week after week podcasting for the right reasons, just because I loved it. But it, you get to a certain point, it's like, okay, you know, is there going to be, you know, anything to come off of this that I may and my family may be able to benefit from, as well as help people on the other side? Again, part of Brian Rose's Academy is, you know, work something in that you can monetize on the back end. So after seriously, like three years of, or at least, you know, two and a half years of, of serious podcasting, it finally hit me. Um, tagline, everyone has a story. Stories are so important. I love writing. I know how to write books. Why don't I help others write their book? And before that time, I had been encouraging people anyway, my friends, my colleagues, just people in general that I knew what it did for me. So I encourage people, have you ever thought about writing a book? You should write a book. You'd be surprised the doors that'll open. You know, you know you, your influence will um, uh, raise, you know, all these benefits will happen if you write a book. So I then sat down and said, okay, I wanna be able to help people write their first book, but I don't want it to drag on for six months. Um, and in full disclosure, <laughs> one thing, I should tell you too, is I've been working on a novel okay. for almost 10 years. So okay. there are those books mm. that take time. The type of book that I help people write. So it's really, it's typically someone's first book. And the reason it's 12 weeks, it's three months uh, because I tested it. Okay. I put 20 people through a program to say, okay, this is a test. Um, I would like you to participate. And, um, and, and I set it up for 12 weeks, about 75% of them finished the book within that 12 week period. Wow. So I knew, I knew it was possible. Okay. And then from there, I took the learnings from the group, put them into my program. And really, so when I say you could write a book in 12 weeks or less, it does have some caveats. It's about 150 pages, about 10 chapters, about 15 pages a chapter. So that's how I break it down for people. And then if you break it down even further, once we do the outline and get everything laid out, I call it a mind map, et cetera. Once we have all that organized, then it becomes this, uh, a form of discipline to write every single day for 30 to 45 minutes. That is their task. And that's where I hold them accountable. If you don't do that, if you fall off, you're not going to get your book done in 12 weeks or less. So there's give and take. I will do my part, but you have to do your part to commit to this. If you're not going to commit, that's fine, but I'm not the coach for you. So I only take on clients who are truly committed to write their book in 12 weeks or less. Now, I will tell you, and I think I have his book right here. Uh, my latest client, his name is Tom Hart. Sorry, this I have a screen up. 
Uh, he, he wrote a book called Life in Moments. It took him a little longer than 12 weeks, but that's okay. I'm not going to give up on my client. Um, and we got it finished. It's published and, and, and it happened, right? So of course, 12 weeks is the, is the duration of time that I've given the program. Some people finish before that. Others take a little bit longer. But as the coach, I'm going to make sure I hang in there until the book is done if they're committed. Absolutely. That's so, so interesting how you've structured it. Um, you know, 15 pages, you know, per, uh, 10 chapters, 150 pages. And uh, it's in, it was surprising that you said only 30, 45 minutes there of writing could actually get you to that final book. And I think sometimes, especially with a book, a book seems such a like such a mammoth task, you know, like, oh, like, where do I start? Yes. How do I how am I going to be consistent? So like you said, the accountability is so important. But I was thinking, let's say I wanted to write a book. We all have, everyone has a million stories and there's probably a million things that you want to say. So how do you, I guess, when your clients come to you, do they usually have a very clear idea of this is the story I want to tell? This is what I want the book to be about? Or is there a lot of bra a brainstorming process that has to come into play just to start? And then it's about, okay, now I know what, it wants, what I want it to be about. What are the stories that I need to add into this to develop this and create, you know, this book? Yeah, no, great question. And, and it is all over the board. So people come in at different, from different places. Some people know exactly what they want to do. Others have three ideas and they need help getting there. And that's why I, I share this information freely because what I have developed, although it is somewhat proprietary, I'll give this information away to anyone. The, the secret sauce, so to speak, is in the interaction. So what I'm really good at is if you, if you came to me and said, Roger, I have three ideas for a book. What I'm really good at is helping you find that first book that you're most passionate about getting out to the world. Because then once you learn how to do it, you should be able to do it on your own. If you want to hire me again, great. <laughs> but you should have the tools then to, you know, to do it on your own. And just for um, disclosure, I have my own book writing coach. So I think having that partner in the project is really good. But you also mentioned something earlier that I think earlier that's important. And that is, I try to help people look at the, the concept as a project and not an overwhelming task of writing a book. Because it is daunting, you know, to think, oh my gosh, how the heck am I going to write a book? If you think like that, going into it, then yeah, you're probably not going to get it done. So what I do is I, I break it down and I look at it as a three-month commitment. It's a three-month project that I'm going to help you get organized. I'm going to do, we're going to do all the heavy lifting in the beginning. And all you have to do is sit back and, and talk. I'm going to be on my whiteboard. I'm going to be giving all the, you know, the cues. You're going to be giving me your feedback, but I promise you, we're going to come back with a solid outline that will give you enough um, for you to write a little bit every single day if you follow the plan. If you don't follow the plan, then it could go sideways. And, and, and I do have clients where they fall off and it's, it's challenging. It's my job to get them back on so you know, that they could, get, they could get it finished. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you made a really important point earlier about that it's a, it's a, it's a collaborative process, you know, like as you, Roger, as the coach, this is what my job and your, then your job is to do the writing. It's the same thing when 
I think in any in any coaching scenario or even with therapy, like in the session, we're going to do the work. I'm going to do my side, but then the rest of it is you're going to have to do that if you want to, for example, in your case, write that book or if in my case, you know, to change that belief to be free of whatever we're talking about. But uh, something you said yeah. earlier was really interesting to me uh, before you started the course, uh, this, uh, your writing, uh, your, your book course was you would always encourage people to write a book. Be and I'm curious, you like, what is it that you got from or learned or what was that? How did it feel? Or what was that experience that you got from your you writing your first book? And why do you encourage other people to do it as well? For me, it was life changing. Okay. So when I when I wrote my first book, the number one, the sense of accomplishment, to be able to actually hold that book and say, I wrote this book, you know, it's a piece of art that I created, that is put out to the world that never dies. I mean, it is our duty to be able to pass on knowledge. If we're keeping knowledge and information inside our brain and it goes to the grave, what good is that doing any, you know, for, for everyone? It is our duty as humans to pass on the information we have. And one way to do it is through writing a book. So that's how I look at it, that um, you know, I knew what it did for me. I knew how many doors it opened. I knew that I now had a skill that I could hopefully utilize for the rest of my life. I mean, people write well into their eighties, you know, and put out wonderful books. So it's something I'm just truly passionate about. And I have to give credit actually to one of the authors that I, uh, read back in the, um, uh, when was it like the early 2000s? His name is Jeffrey Gittimer. Jeffrey Gittimer is a sales guru. You know, he's written over 20 books on on sales and, and, and all kinds of tips and ideas on how to be a good salesperson. I went to a conference of his in Florida one year. And as he was talking to the people in the crowd, and there were a lot of people, there was probably 200 or more people there. He said to everyone, look, if, if you want to make an impact, no matter what industry you're in, if you want to make an impact and get people to start calling you versus you calling them, you need to write. You could write articles for trade magazines. You could write a blog. But the best thing you could do is write a book. So after he said that, I took that back with me and I took it very serious. And that's when I, that, uh, the six months came when I wrote that book. Um, it was actually, sorry, the late 2000s, because the book came out in 2010. And um, that, you know, that just changed everything for me. It opened all kinds of doors and opportunities. And that's why I passed it on. I, you know, I, I, I let people know, look, if I could do it, you could do it. You know, I wasn't any, you know, you know, A plus student. Um, I just love writing. And, and I knew that if I could hone this craft, then I could hopefully share some information that, uh, I've been fortunate enough to gain over the years. Absolutely. And uh, I think you made a great point about not only about the sense of accomplishment of to actually say I've written a book is the the passing on of knowledge that it's like a book is timeless. You know, this is going to be here from now till, you know, the end of time. So 
and like you said it, if you have information that you're not passing on like what what's the point of it no we should be sharing as much information as possible and passing that on so i'm but on that point about now passing on knowledge and information so how would you compare that to like for example the podcast you do because in both scenarios we are delivering value and you are passing on knowledge so how would you i guess compare the difference between having you know the your, your podcast for example over 200 episodes and so much information and knowledge to give compared to like the book that you've written well wow, it's a it's a great question it's actually a deep question for me because to me it's all connected okay in that if you're creating a book and you're writing a book you're taking the time that's that's a piece of content that you're creating right same thing when you're interviewing someone and creating a podcast so what i do with the podcast is it's it's great to have the recording and then put it out to the world you know in its full version but what i found or and, and where i see there's tons of value for people is really dissecting that podcast and finding clips in that podcast that are for a specific topic and then taking that clip and putting it out as its own piece of content. So this is what I do on a regular basis now. We repurpose. You could only imagine how many thousands of hours of content we have to repurpose. If I put it out back in 2017, and yeah, maybe back then, I don't know, 500 people heard it, great. But what about the 50,000 people that are on our platform now? Or, you know, the, the million plus people that have listened to episodes on our YouTube channel. They, they didn't hear the first one. So, again, it, I feel it's my duty to go back through all of that content, pull out those, you know, golden nuggets to say, okay, I'm serving up a piece of information that my guests shared a year ago, three years ago, it doesn't matter, that is still relevant. It still has meaning. And, and it still gives people ideas and, and how to hopefully bring what that guest said into their world so they could become you know, better people. Absolutely. And I think you made such a good point about uh, repurposing, you know, repurposing the content because like you don't know if like now with the platform you have now compared to then that piece of knowledge that only reached 500 people at the time now has the potential to reach 50,000. So the and when you have so much such a library of content, you have like millions of like nuggets of information, those like 30 second clips, you know, that you can take or whatever, as long as as long as you want it to be that talks about issues that are that are completely relevant today. Um, but coming back to um, the the book writing aspect. So it was interesting that you said that the most people that work with you, it's writing, you know, their first book, it's that first their first, you know, like um, jump into, you know, the the world of being uh, an author. But a lot of people who write books, it takes them years and stuff. And I've personally, I've never understood why it took it takes them that long. I get over time, you have more experiences, you have more things that you want to add. But I think a book kind of like a piece of music. It's it's ever evolving. So you could you could always add more to that book. I could always add another chapter. I could always add this. So the question I have to you is, I guess, how do you know or how did you know in the, your experience in the books you've written that I'm done? There's nothing that I need to add to this. The book has now been complete. Yeah, a uh, couple, couple things that I think about off of that question. Number one is I put a post out on LinkedIn on Friday and it said this. It said, 
start before you're ready. I saw that. Yeah. You know, so it's when you think about it, it's like, ugh, I'm not ready to start. I don't, you know, I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to do my first LinkedIn post. And, and you could think about it forever. Right. So yeah, you just have to start. So uh, in, in your example of the book, absolutely you have to start to, to get it out. But then when do you finish? So now I'm on the other side of that. Right. Because I told you earlier. I've been writing my novel for almost 10 years. Yeah. So the novel to me, that is truly a piece of art that I had to learn. It's, it's one thing to write a, a, a nonfiction book, but to write fiction, it's very challenging. It's something that I wanted to take on, knew nothing about it. But if you don't, if you don't have the basic skills, um, you're not going to put out a good book. I want to put out a great book. I want to put out a bestseller. I want the book to become a movie. So all these ideas I have, I'm not going to rush through my novel to get it out there just to get it out there. But there's other books like, you know, I wrote this build the best you this year. Um, I wrote that in two weeks. Wow. I say that quietly. I, did. I wrote it in two weeks because I had a goal. I knew I could do it. I tasked myself to do it and I got it done. So it's a fine balance. And that's why when I help people and, and that's why there, there's this kind of magic number of 150, it's a good enough size book to say, yes, someone put their, you know, blood, sweat and tears into this book. It doesn't matter if it took two months or, or four months or whatever it was, but they took the time, right. To, to make that book a really good book. Could they have made it better? Of course we could always make it better. But I'm also an advocate of, I'm not an editor, but to have the book professionally edited before it goes out. You don't want to have grammar mistakes. And, and no matter how you know, much you do, there's always, I still find little things here and there, but at least give it you know, 110%. Find a good editor to hopefully catch as many, if not all the mistakes that are in there. So you could put out the best book possible and then move on to the next one. So um, you know, like artwork, um, like music, as you mentioned, these things could drag on and on and on if you don't one day say, okay, I'm done. I'm putting it out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such an important thing to realize when you feel that, okay, I've, have I told what, have I written the book that I want to write? Is there enough content that I'm comfortable with that I think could be useful or whatever the case might be? It's time to close it. And then you can, like you said, you can go and write another one. And now you have a great, you know, uh, body of work to go back on and use. That's going to help you in your future writing. You know, like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have finished there. Now maybe I can add, I can add more things in this book. But listening to your story about your novel is, re is very interesting because you've been doing it for 10 years, I understand. And nonfiction, I can't even imagine how hectic it must be to write nonfiction compared to just like a personal development book or a business book or whatever the case might be. So obviously, as we grow older and over the 10 years, you've gone, life has completely changed for you and gone through those experiences. So do you, so taking kind of that, what we're talking about now about when is it finished? Not necessarily when are you going to finish the book, but as you go through life, your experience changes, your mindset changes. So do you go back to maybe chapters you wrote, like, let's say five years ago and start editing them? Or is it about, no, I'm happy, like as time has gone on, I'm happy with this. This this chapter is closed. Now, this amount of time I'm using to write the next one. 
Look, I have to be honest. It's been all over the board, but this is, I, I hired a coach you know, yeah. for this. Sure. And then I hired another coach. So I've had like a team of people helping me with this. And the people I hired were good in their craft. The person I hired, um, uh, his name is uh, James Bonnet. Um, he is a story consultant. So the first part of my journey in this novel was making sure the story was a good story. If you don't have a good story, it goes back to Joseph Campbell's The, the Hero's Journey. If you don't have a good story, then it's probably not going to be a good book. Um, but you also have to have a good outline. You know, where's the story going to take you? And it, it does change. It's, it, uh, writing fiction is so challenging, but it's so exhilarating because it's one of these things I'll go back and read and I can't even believe that I wrote it. It's, it, it comes from a place, uh, my, Jim calls it the creative unconscious. So when we're in flow state as, a, as writers and I advocate for people to get up early in the morning to write, when we come out of our sleep and we're in this zone, you know, which, which is called flow state, magic happens. Things come out that you just can't plan for. So you, you, you know, you wonder how do these people come up with all this wonderful music and wonderful artwork and wonderful books? To me, it comes from flow state. It's, it's being in the zone and, and giving yourself the freedom to be able to do what you do best. So I've had lots of ups and downs, you know, over this past decade, but it's now, you know, nearing completion, which is, it's so much fun. It's gone through the final edits, you know, with a copy editor, professional editor. Um, there's still a little bit of tweaks here and there I need to make, but this book will come out in 2022. I've actually been saying that now for a couple of years, thinking I was ready, but we're, we're here. I'm, I'm feeling really good about it. And, um, um, I'm going to do everything I can to get it out in 2022. Man, that's that's awesome to see. So exciting that it's, you know, coming soon. And, you know, it's the culmination of 10 years of work. Like that's a that book represents, you know, such a significant timeline and part of your life. So to have something that represents, I think, is a beautiful thing. And I think to write something that's nonfiction and to be something that has taken this long. I think it's so important, like you said, to have coaches, to have other people to bounce ideas off, to help you make sure it's edited because you want this after all the work to be, you know, what you imagined it would be and what you wanted it to be. But coming back to just on the, like when you help working with your clients to write a, a book. So if I came to you, I'm like, Roger, I have an idea. I have a story. I want to write a book. What are what would you say are the like key elements that make a good book or make a successful book? Well, the first thing I ask my clients is who are you writing this book for? You know, is it for yourself? Is it for um, a certain target audience? Who are you writing that book for? And a lot of times people don't know. They're like, oh, I, I never thought about it. So that's the first question we have to answer. Okay. Um, once, once we know who the book is for, then it's all about, you know, uh, really focusing on what value they want to give out of this book, you know, um, what stories they want to share, if any, some, some people don't want to write stories. Is it just a factual book? So I have to really understand what the goals are of the client. And then I adjust 
based on that. So, for example, I'm working with um, someone actually who I interviewed on, on my podcast on, with, with his book. His book is very, very simple. It is uh, basically um, there's 24 chapters and and each chapter is a is four pages. OK. And each page has very few words, but it's the style he wanted. And it's and it's somewhat poetic. It's not a it's not a book of poems, but the, the way it flows is somewhat poetic. That's what he wants to do. I'm, it's not my job to judge him and tell him he's the artist. I'm not the artist. He's hiring me to help him get that book out to the world. So I have to honor that. So same thing with with any client. I just really have to understand, you know, what their motivations are, uh, who their audience is. And what what style book, you know, we'll talk about, oh, I like this author because they do it this way. Good. You know, let's pull some ideas from that. We're not going to copy, but let's pull some ideas. What do you like about it? And these are the discussions we have because it is absolutely crucial before the project starts that the client is extremely clear that they could see the book start to finish. And I actually tell every single client this. Before, before, we, before I take them on, the book is already written. It's done. You know what that book is going to be. We have to help, I have to help you pull that book out of your mind onto paper to get it exactly how you plan, exactly how you manifest. So if you give someone the confidence, which it's true, I'm not, it's not BS. If you give someone the confidence that, Oh my gosh, the book's already written. So how do how do I make it happen? Then we formulate the plan and then you follow the steps. And then what I do is I meet with them weekly on Zoom like this. Like I have a book client call coming up in a couple of hours. We'll talk about the past week. What, it, what were your struggles? Um, where can I help you? What were the breakthroughs? And then we'll talk about next week. So it's basically about one chapter a week that they're writing again, back to that 10, sure. 10 chapters um, over a 12-week period gives us a, a little bit of time on the front end and back end to get things done. So yeah, it's really all about me tuning in with my client and honoring what their ideas are to be able to get that book out to the world. And then once it happens, again, it's there's no greater joy for me than to be able to go on Amazon, order someone's book, and rip that package open when it comes in the mail to say, man, they did, they did it. it. Yeah, man, that's that must be such a such a rewarding thing. And I love how you said that, that you tell your clients that the book is already written and it technically it's true. You know, it's you have the story. And I think what you said is so important about that. I never even thought of, which was who am I writing this for? Am I writing this for me? or Am I writing this for you? Because I would have thought previously that I'm writing this for me, that will help you. But I think now listening to you, there is a distinction and you have to have the end in mind, like the story, you can see the story before you even get started. Because if you're trying to develop it along the way, I think it'll be very hard to fit in that timeline. And, you know, because you need to have the creativity to actually still write about it and how you want to do it as well. And one thing that um, you said on LinkedIn was about how you help people find their voice and I think that was such an interesting interesting thing to say because 
like you said, people sometimes are scared of putting their face out there. They're scared of, you know, putting their voice out there. Like, for example, we do with the podcast and so on. So how do you start, I guess, how do we start finding a voice, number one? And number two, how do we know when we've actually found it? Ooh, good question. So, you know, to me, it's, it's all about being authentic and transparent um, and really going after your, your passion and your purpose, right? So for, for me to help someone find their authentic voice, it's having authentic conversations. It's them knowing that I truly care. Um, that if I'm the person to help them or at least give them that nudge to help them, um, then, then that, then my job is fulfilled, but it is up to the individual to be able to truly find their authentic voice. And that is to be, it means, you know, for me to be comfortable in your own skin. And my friend and I were talking about this the other night, um, and, and I don't say this with, with arrogance at all, but I, I just say this because I'm honest. I don't care what people think. I can't. I used to. When I used to care what people thought, that's when I wasn't my authentic self. That's when I didn't have my own voice. That's when I was afraid or held back to speak whatever it was I wanted to say. To answer your question, I, when, when do you find, when do you know that you found your voice? It's, it's, it's when you know you're yourself. It's when you're comfortable in your own skin. It's when you're not trying to be Joe Rogan or Brian Rose. It's, you know, I'm me. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. Everyone's not going to like me and that's okay. But um, I'm, I'm doing what I feel is right. And, and the people that are in tune with that then hopefully I'll build a connection with them and there'll be some, you know, value that, that they receive um, on the other side. So that's how I look at it. It's just, to me, it's really being comfortable with who you are and being able to freely speak um, without having to think, you know, really not having to think too much. Yeah, no, absolutely. And kind of like um, just saying what you think, what, what's on your mind, irrespective of obviously in the correct way not offending people but speaking authentically speaking this is your opinion on this this is how i think and i think you made a great point about you know you found it when you start feeling comfortable when you when you say something you're like and you have that thought you're like is this actually what i believe is this is what i actually care about yes okay then you know you have that that comfort that uh, that comes with it and you made a great point a lot of people don't do it sometimes because we're scared of what other people might think. You know, it comes back to that um, imposter syndrome that I think a lot of people have, especially when you're first starting out. I know I had it when I started the podcast. I know I had it when I started, you know, my therapy because you don't have the, you haven't put the work in yet. You don't have the credibility, you know, to say, oh, I'm a podcaster. Now, oh, I happily and proudly say I, I've got the bank, you know, you know, to prove it. But I think you made a great point right. about it's so important for you to be comfortable in yourself. And that's where your true voice comes from. And look, just to add to that, I think for me anyway, you get to a point where you say, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable with myself. I'm comfortable with my own skin, but now how can I get better, right? What else can I do? What else could I learn to, to add to my toolkit so I become better at what I do? So one thing that comes to mind for me that, that was more recent than not is empathy. You know, adding empathy 
to my thoughts, right? I didn't always, I wasn't always empathetic. You know, I didn't always care about the other person, but, and, and the other thing is I didn't always really carefully think about my words, but when you're, when you're, when you're present and you, you build skills like empathy um, and you're thoughtful of what you're saying, typically, you know, only good comes out, you know, I'm not, I don't want to harm anyone, you know, I don't want to offend, but I also have to be straight, you know, I have to call it the way it is. I had a podcast interview yesterday um, with Rachel Beck, we talked about racism. Uh, It's a very, you know, important topic today. Uh, It's in the news, you know, especially in America, it's, it's, it's out of control. So how could I talk about racism, where it's coming from a place of love, you know, of empathy, of goodness, of honesty, where I won't offend someone, but I'm also speaking my truth. So I think those examples are are the toughest because now you're into a whole different realm of of topics that um, you know if you do say the wrong thing or you you know if you, if it's not coming from a place of of empathy or goodness or honesty, yeah. You may slip up, but when you're comfortable in your own skin, and I know that, um, you know, racism is not a good thing for our world. I could speak freely about that all day long. I don't care who I'm talking to, what country they're from, what religion they are, what color they are, because to me, it doesn't matter. You're a person, you're a human being. I respect you. And therefore, we're going to have a good conversation to hopefully try to help people that may have racist tendencies to maybe think twice before they say something or or think something. Yeah, for sure. And I think you made a great point about once you've found it, start thinking about how can I improve it and things like everything you said about empathy, about appreciation, about respect, those having that and awareness probably is the most important one of how you're speaking, how are you conveying this thought and making sure that you're conveying it in the right way because it's coming from a good place. But so, like you said, you can hear, I always, it's so funny that a person can tell you the same thing twice and just from the delivery of the message, you're going to take it two completely different ways and your per- perception on that is going to be completely different too. And to add on to what you were saying, I think uh, another great one would be uh, curiosity because that's where if you're asking in a curious way, in my experience, at least typically, it is going to come with that sort of feeling. You know, I'm not challenging you. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to learn and understand your point of view and where you're coming from. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, that that brings up. So so what's great about this conversation is as you're talking, as you're asking the questions, lots of thoughts come to my mind. But oftentimes it'll it'll go to a place of someone I interviewed. Right. So you talked about curiosity, asking questions. Immediately, I thought of Peter Sage, who actually Brian Rose interviewed um, and, and ended up taking the episode down. But Peter Sage talks about something. He's very, very smart. Asking the right questions. Anyone could ask a question, you know, but I'll, to me, it's about asking the right questions. I never really thought about that until I interviewed him and he expanded upon that, that there are questions that you could ask that may not be the right question. So giving, having that curiosity, but then even taking it deeper to say, okay, and this is where I'd like to go and put myself in the place of the listener or viewer to say, okay, what can I ask here that is going to really get a response that is impactful? 
you know, so being able to ask those right questions and it's just practice, you know, it's, it, to me, it's, um, you know, being prepared, but also getting better at, at what you do to ask the right questions. And that's what I try to do when, when I'm interviewing is I just try to ask better questions. No, absolutely, man. And like you said, it's about asking that right question. My, I always tell myself, I'm like, if in every recording, if I can get the guest to say just once, that oh that's a good question or that's a great question for me you know i'm i've won it's successful yes. or the ultimate one is when they've like oh no one's asked me that before but they're rare those are hard, those are harder to get uh, especially when if yes. you've been on multiple podcasts and so on uh roger i want to be uh, conscious of our time i just have two more questions for you and these are questions that i ask all my guests so looking back either at your career or even from in your personal life whatever the case might be what are you most proud of for yourself? Uh, I would I would say honestly the 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 thing I'm most proud of is having children. Like you hear about that, right? So it's like okay, when you're growing up, yeah, you, you, when you have kids, it's going to change your life. Yes, it changes your life. But I'm most proud that I and my wife, you know, were able to conceive children. Like to me, that's the biggest miracle that we have. And it's right in front of our face, um, whether we have kids ourselves or we're, you know, we, you know, growing up in our own families or, or um, if you don't have children, you know, supporting the, uh, those that, that do. Um, it's, it's just uh, to this day, it's amazing to me because I remember the day our daughter was born and I just couldn't believe it. Like, how is this possible? How is this possible? Where, I can create another human being. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So, you know, that's, I, that's my greatest goal, um, you know, aside from any business. I think, look, we, just to take it a, a step further, because you're probably looking for something from the, from the business side, maybe, but um, I'm proud of just excelling in my career and constantly learning and and never giving up and you know just wanting to better myself and then hopefully better others like that to me that's like the, the best thing and it's not one thing I could point to it's just every day you know I wake up and I say okay you know what can I do today to hopefully create some impact and and give people you know some motivation or whatever it may be uh, do well for my family I try to help one person a day. So I have all these things that I'm trying to do, um, but I'm, I'm proud of the journey that got me to where I am because believe me, um, I, I, I haven't always thought this way. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely, man. Um, on the, on the children, I don't have kids, but I, so I, but I understand uh, where you're coming from and, you know, to see, to be able to, all, all the impact you're trying to give to the world, you have, you know, a version of yourself that you can even, you know, give even more to. So I think that's, you know, a beautiful thing. And also on, you know, the work aspect about just constantly evolving, constantly trying to improve and constantly trying to deliver value, deliver value. And it comes from the right place. I think that's such an important thing. And it's a beautiful thing as well. And uh, for my last question, Roger, what is the message you'd like everyone to take home with them today? <sighs> it's simple, you know, just do good. You know, I think 
we're all caught up, you know, in whether it's COVID or politics or the news or so much negative energy around there. But if we dumb that down to ourselves as an individual, we all put our head on the pillow at night. We all open our eyes in the morning. When we open our eyes, if people could just hopefully say, you know what, I'm going to give it my all today. I'm not going to judge people. I'm going to give of myself freely. Um, I'm going to help people that are in need. I'm going to work a hard day. You know, I'm going to provide for my family. Um, I'm going to be there for my friends. I'm going to call that person I haven't talked to in 10 years. You know, if these thoughts enter our mind every single day, the world will definitely become a better place. I have to believe we're on the trajectory of goodness. There's a lot of negative stuff going on. There's also a lot of goodness happening. And there's a lot of people from around the world that are coming from the same place um, as you and I. And that cannot be stopped. Good overcomes evil every single time. Ah, uh, man, that's a beautiful message uh, and a great, great way to end the show. Like you said, I think uh, how you started it just by saying, you know, simple, just do good. Uh, that it has a ripple effect. And when you start coming, you know, trying to do that, be of service to people and try to help people, it's crazy how people that you never would have met before start connecting with you. And like, it's like an energy gets exchanged between you guys. And there's so much more that comes out of it and so much more that can be done. So I think that's a beautiful message, Roger, and a great way to, uh, to end the show. Um, where can people um, find you if they want to connect with you, if they want to work with you, if they want to listen to the podcast, just let us know where we can get in touch. Yeah, the best place is LinkedIn. I'm very accessible on LinkedIn. Uh, my personal page, Roger Brooks, or you could go to my website, AmericanReal.tv. And Khalid, uh, this has been wonderful. You're an awesome host. I'm so glad we connected. And I have a feeling this is not going to be our last conversation. I, I hope it, I hope it won't be. And Roger, thank you so much for coming on the show and for your time. Um, I've learned so much from you today. Uh, from I love speak, love speaking about, speaking to you about the podcast and the guests that you've had and your mindset behind it and all about writing a book. I've never thought about writing a book. Um, maybe I will now. You know, I don't know. I don't know. But. I just learned so much from you, man. This has been such a great conversation and I connected with you on so many levels because you come from a similar place that you're just trying to help people. So thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, to everyone listening, uh, thank you always. Please connect and follow the podcast all over the place on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram at hope.it.helps. And as always, guys, hope it helps. Peace.